It is Money Talk. Good morning. This is James Ross. It's 16 minutes past eight. And uh, let's welcome our guests uh, today. Uh, as normal on a Friday, Andrew Ferris, the CEO of Ecognosis Advisory. Good morning, Andrew. Good morning. Uh, nice to have you on. And let's say also hello to Hebi Chen, a market analyst at IG. Uh, good morning, Hebi. Good morning, James and Andrew. <laughs> Once again, uh, welcome to Friday on uh, Money Talk. Well, next week, uh, will there or won't there be uh, a Fed uh, rise in interest rates? Uh, Hebe, your thoughts on that? Uh, any indications um, from what we've heard? Is it going to hold? Well, I think from my perspective, it's very likely they will hold uh, for September meeting. But the message coming out for, from that meeting will be probably more important than the, the move itself. Um, then we're going to in also have the quarterly economy projection. They can send a message out on the projection showing that they're expecting the interest rate to move higher or for longer. It's like what ECB just does last night. But um, I think overall the market's now pricing index. No change for September, but market's looking for a hike in November. It's now pricing about 40% change. So I think that's the message that very likely the com- combination of coming from September meeting. Andrew, I know you don't like to focus too much on the, uh, the Fed. <laughs> Fed, uh, you know, is it uh, relevant whether or not uh, there will be a hike next week? Uh, I'm afraid not, for a very simple reason. Okay, Fed has made it absolutely clear they're not going to cut. Okay, so full stop. So at the absolutely worst, the markets are looking uh, 5% where it is now. Uh, they are also carrying on emphasizing, just like Lagarde did, Okay, that, yes, if necessary, we will increase. So, you know, what else can they tell you and what else can we expect? In other words, we sit down here and we say they're not going to cut. At the very best, they're going to leave it where they are. And they have definitely indicated that if the data as they come through, uh, let's say, allows them in inverted commas or encourages them to, they will increase interest rates. So as somebody that will try to forecast interest rates, what am I going to tell my clients? Okay, I'm going to tell them exactly what they're telling us. You know, if things get worse, they will carry on increasing. And things, even if they get better, they will not cut because they will want to see a trend that goes down to where they want it. In the case of Lagarde, she's at 2%, and the inflation is about 5 At least the Fed is much, much better at uh, anything, anything between 3 to 3.5% down to 2%. They are much nearer. It's, it's, it's hopeless and helpless, and uh, I feel sympathy for central banks. My God, I must that, I say that with clenched teeth. Okay, but uh, yes, you know, uh, you know I, I feel very frustrated to carry on discussing something over which they and we don't have mm. any influence whatsoever. Clearly, uh, Hebby, Andrew, not a fan of uh, central banks and uh, the pluses and minuses of uh, interest rate rises. But the ECB uh, has hiked the uh, interest rate in Europe uh, today. What effects is that going to have? There have been some saying that's going to have a big impact actually on the US because exports going to the uh, European Union from the US will now be much more expensive. Uh, you have any thoughts there? Well, I think that impact the European zone will be probably much better than the U.S. in the sense that the Europe as well as the U.K. is now on the brink of this stagflation. And once they get into that stage, I think things will get more complicated to, for them to unsolve the problem. And they will get into the issues that they have to face in the new year. So overall, I think the outlook for them will be definitely much worse. 
which in the sense of that U.S. economy definitely has more room to move because they're strong economy, much more resilient. So in that sense, I will probably more worry about the, the Europe's economy outlook rather than the U.S. Are you uh, positive, uh, heavy about any particular areas of the world, any particular regions? Do you, do you like Asia? Do you like the U.S.? Do you like Europe? Uh, you know, what, what, are the, uh, what are the optimistic and uh, uh, pessimistic spots, would you say? Well, I think in the short term wise, given that we have so much uh, disruptions, economic disruption going to happen for the next near term, I think, which I'm in 2024, I think the U.S. will be the place that probably people will feel more safe about that because they have a strong dollar, they're having the strong economy. But in the long term wise, I actually quite positive people on the Asian area. I know that, um, that people are saying that because of China slowing down, they're more dependent, depending on China. But just think about this. I think... Putting aside Asia, which area could sort of produce and having the much population should get in support once China is slowing down. And once the China is slowing down, they're not going to produce the enough products for the rest of the world. Which region will benefit? I think for the Asian-wise, it will be the, will be the place that if you're looking for the next five or ten years, I think still the region that I have the most, most confidence on. Andrew, your thoughts in a particular region that you like or maybe not that direction that you normally go in? No, actually, because even in case of Asia, it becomes, uh, uh, good God, it becomes almost a big grammatical error. What do we mean by Asia? Does it include Japan? Because if it does, then it most definitely changes the image a little bit. And if I'm Australian, you know, the Australians are famous for becoming honorary Asians when it suits them. So, <laughs> so suddenly we may find that, uh, you know, the Pacific includes also Australia. And in Australia, uh, it is still uh, stumbling around, okay, uh, for a very long time. But what I'm actually saying is, is, no, I cannot open my mouth and say, look, I like Asia without doing the ultimate mistake of a commentator, okay, and which says, but it depends, and then I will give you a long list of the countries that I'm going to include or exclude, and making it so mm. grammatically specific that uh, by two seconds into my reply, you will lose interest. So the answer is, is no, I'm sticking to a particular uh, industrial areas or I'm speaking in particular classes of goods and saying I'm going to leave aside the geographical location of that and I will say if I So you're region agnostic then? You you, you don't really look at the regions at all, it's more the sectors, right? Exactly, exactly. Thank you. Mm. Can you see you did it much faster than I did. I was about (laughs) to spend another 10 minutes explaining (laughs) you the as the as the Brits would say, the bleeding obvious. <laughs> <laughs> Heavy, you are in Australia. Do you do you th- do you feel that uh, yeah. that Australia is, is sometimes part of Asia and sometimes not part of Asia? Yes, we we are a very tricky spot. Like when you're saying that, that the impact on China, we definitely suffer the most impact because that we export quite a lot to China. But in terms of culture-wise, we still, I think, we'll definitely carry on more from the Western culture. So it's it's a very tricky sport. But on the positive side, we can say that we we'll benefit from both, right? <laughs> Mm-hmm. Uh, turning to China, uh, we're expecting some data out at 10 o'clock uh, this morning um, from Beijing. And, uh, you know, it well, sounds like it might be a bit more positive than it has been. Uh, any any uh, f- future thoughts, do you think, on that, uh, Heavy? What, what, are you, what are you seeing out of China? Well, I, I think I personally won't be surprised if we definitely get some positive data from China for the next two months. I think given that China has done so much, right, they have been presenting all the new policies almost like on a daily basis. So that definitely will work. It's just the question into that will they work as they designed to, will they work as what we wish for.
I think that's a key question. Another thing about China, which I'm actually most concerning about, is the risk. I think that what we have heard from China is that China getting into a country that we can't, it's so hard for all the economies to predict what's going to happen next. And that will be the biggest risk. The biggest risk is something that, that I think the money traders don't like. We don't know. We don't like the feeling that we don't know what's going to happen next for China. So if that happens, like what happened to Apple, if that happens, that persists, I think that investors will keep flying away from China because we we just don't like the feeling that we don't know what's going to happen next. Are the Chinese government, Andrew, you know, on top of the various economic boosts that they need to do? Have they have they delivered on their promises to do same? You know, it is uh, it is a favorite topic uh, to beat down on the Chinese government for not doing enough. I take it uh, I take a slightly more let's say tangential view to the extent that very clearly at the background hovers. Uh, a kind of a concern that we are not going to do what happened 2008 in the United States and that we're going to expand massively our fiscal deficit, primarily pumping it into the property sector, as directly or indirectly is what happened in the United States. And uh, I suspect this will continue to precondition whatever they're planning to do. And uh, they, so much, so far, actually, has been very much par for the course of what the 95% of Chinese policymaking does. It is small, marginal adjustments and not greater big fiscal moves. And I think it might take, uh, it might take let's say, a deterioration of the economy further for this to shift their, their position. Personally, I think they've got ample space with about a 4% fiscal deficit to spend a great deal more. Mm-hmm. Now, how and where, uh, it is a, it's a different matter, but the capacity to be able to pull the trigger in a fully armed gun, okay, to, to, mm. to, to, to make it a little bit aggressive, is very much there. Mm-hmm. Uh, turning to uh, the stock market, uh, overnight we've heard about uh, Arm Holdings and its IPO, the company now valued at 60 billion US dollars. Uh, does that uh, give us an indication that listings are going to start rolling forward again? We're going to see some more positive news, Heavy, uh, Are you feeling good after that uh, valuation? Actually, I do. I do. I think that they're just coming with a perfect combination that the, the market is so hungry for the good quality IPO. The, the, the market is also hungry for the AI stock. So it's just coming at a like perfect combination for, for the market to get their, excited. Their timing is pretty good, it. isn't it? I mean, their timing is pretty good. It is. It is. Yes. It can't be better. I think this is definitely perfect timing. But what I think is that I think after coming after these two or three years of disruption from the pandemic, the market definitely needs some fresh air. And if that's something that is going to kick off, I think it shows it's quite positive for the for the whole market. What I'm a bit worried concerned about, I think this is a company a bit of over concentrated. As you you point out before, that 90 percent is in the hand of SoftBank. They're all co- over concentrated in the iPhone, smartphones. That's a risk that I think market's been sort of overlooked if you based on the valuation today. But I think for overall, it's lifting up the sentiment, and that's the most positive thing I take away from that. Andrew, Arm Holdings, uh, one that you'd look at? Um, You know, I prefer to leave anything which is related to tech uh, a little bit in the air because uh, the whole sector is uh, is now overlaid uh, with a lot of uh, political considerations as opposed just to to pure uh, factual things. And uh, to give you some example, we had Apple coming out with their new telephone, 15, and very, at the same time, the Chinese company. 
and say apparently, although they are denying it, don't buy Apple. So, mm, you know, yes, the IPO was was a pleasant surprise, but uh, I'm trying to see whether I could see it as an indicator for the whole technology sector. And the whole technology sector is so different. We are talking anything from software all the way to hardware. Uh, for me to say, yes, ARMS do very well, so therefore it goes without saying that, da 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 Okay, no. Mm, mm. Hebe, any other sectors that you're looking at at the moment? Your thoughts on Apple, maybe? Yes, I actually, I, actually, I love Apple, honestly. Um, probably because I'm a big fan of the coming back story, but I watch too much movie. But I think Apple will be, will be tend to be a good coming back story because I think the market's been overdue or over worried about the China's ban and China's restriction. And I'm not that worried in the sense that I think Apple's been prepared for that. I don't think that's caught Apple off the guard. They have been preparing for moving out from China for, for like, I think two or three years already. The market's already knowing about the, the slowing down of China will impact its, its mm. uh, market shares, impact sales. I think we resolved the previous two endings. So I don't think that's overly a brand news, a right. fresh news to Apple. So that's why I, I think the market's been overdone it. Hebi Chen is a market analyst at IG and our other guest, Andrew Ferris, the CEO of Ecognosis Advisory. Thank you very much to both of you uh, for.